0: Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Good morning and welcome back for another conversation that I am having today with Shamit Mitter. Shamit is one of the leading therapists in London. Shamit trained as hypnotherapist as well. And he has spent over 30 years studying ancient Indian, Chinese, Egyptian, and shamanic systems of healing i really enjoy my regular conversations with shamit he is one of the wisest human beings and i'm saying that weighing really my words he is absolutely incredible and i do hope you will enjoy my conversation with him today about how to deal with suffering and how to reach a stage where you realize that even the worst experiences you go through in life could actually be happening for you and not just to you. Good morning, Shomet, and thank you very much for being with me again today. My absolute favorite time of the week, having conversations with you. And today I would like to share this conversation about so many people around me just really struggling with lots of events happening at the moment and you and I have had many conversations in the past about this kind of really difficult experiences sometime that happened and we very easily tend to think they're happening to us. And over the years, you have taught me that many things happen actually for us. And it was very important for me to share this with as many people as possible, because it extremely helped me deal and react to all these events in such a more peaceful way. So if you don't mind just explaining to us the difference.
1: Morning, Lara, and thank you for having me on this. When you say explaining the difference, um, you mean presumably the difference between something happening to us and something happening for us.
0: Happening for us, yes, please. Because then these experiences will be just uh, experienced completely differently.
1: Exactly, exactly. The difference between something happening to you and something happening for you is not a function of something out there. It's a function of your own perception of what is happening. So things happen in the world, inevitably. But when we change the way we view what has happened, we can change something from seeming as though it's happening to me, I'm the receiving end of this, I'm the victim, to... It's happening for me. There's something here that I can harness to my advantage. I'll I'll give you a scheme here that helps systematize this, if you like. All right. And this is a scheme that I'm borrowing from Buddhist studies. And it's called the five omnipresent mental factors. And the five, in an order that is not normally presented, it's my own order, because it makes more rational sense, are... Contact. You come into contact with things in the world out there. Attention. You pay attention to what is happening in the world out there. And then the third step, discrimination, discernment, judgment. You form an opinion as to what the value or otherwise is of the thing that's happening out there. And that then generates feeling. And the feeling then leads to a particular action. If I feel good, I'll go towards it. If I feel bad, I'll run away from it, etc. So of these five, the key step that we need to focus on to change happening to me to happening for me, the key step is the third step. Discrimination, discernment, judgment. Why? Because contact we can't help. We are in the world, we will come into contact with things. Attention, the second step, is always good because it's good to pay attention to what you've come into contact with. But it's the third step is where we instinctively often, and often without judgment, often without thought, we decide this is a bad thing or this is a good thing. All right. And then that then sets off a little domino effect because of our judgment. We feel a particular way, we feel good or bad about that thing, and that almost inevitably leads to an instinctive grabbing for that thing, if it's a good thing, or running away from it if it's a bad thing, or getting angry with it if it's a bad thing, etc. And we then act in accordance with that feeling. So how do you change that discernment step? It's happening to me and it's a bad thing, or it's happening for me, it's to my advantage. And how can you use this universally? And I'll give you a little way of doing that, which is if you consider I go to the gym, I come into contact with the gym, it's in the world out there, and I meet my trainer and my trainer shows me a new machine that we're going to use. So I pay attention to this machine, second step. And the third is the judgment step, is the discernment step. You can either go, oh God, this is so difficult this is going to, re- oh my God, I don't feel like doing it. Then that leads to that feeling, oh, this is terrible. This is a bad thing. And that leads to action. You tell the trainer, you know what? Let's just cancel the yeah. session today. All right? Equally, the same machine, the same trainer. I come into contact with the trainer. I pay attention to the machine. Third step, you know what? This is good for my back. It'll help my core, strengthen my core, and then my back will be better. You know what? Difficult as it is, it's a good thing. Then I feel good about it. And then, the action then that follows is, yes, let's bring it on. Let's do it. So notice the same thing happened in the world. I was contacted with the same thing, attentive to the same thing, but I changed. It's happening to me. This machine is there. This trainer is forcing me to do this machine. I need to run away. Becomes, no, I want to do this because I can see the advantage in it. That's the alchemy. Alchemy, changing lead into gold. No, alchemy, changing a bad thing into a good thing. And This is a nice scheme, I think. That is, And remember, in Buddhism, it's called the omnipresent mm-hmm. mental factors, which mm-hmm. means it's always with us. We are always reacting this way. It's a very good tool to keep bear in mind. How can I change the thing that I'm coming to contact with, which I'm paying attention to, from seemingly a bad thing to seemingly a good thing?
0: This is a brilliant example because we all have to deal with examples like this. But if you don't mind, I would like to... Um, Let's consider another example that is a bit more difficult to be able to discern differently when you reach this third point. I'm going to put this situation out there for you and just if you can explain to me and people who are listening how could we react in this situation. Uh, Let's say you've just lost your your father he just died from either old age or accident it doesn't matter here in this example and then a year later um another member of your family whether it's a sibling or somebody else uh, dies from a car accident and then 6 months later your mother falls and has a big injury to the head, has to be hospitalized for months. And you come to that point where you say, okay, what's going on here? I mean, am I going to continue having one bad after the other? Some people believe in bad, uh, you know, luck, bad energy in the house. They're going to uh, try to want, try to believe that there is something they need to change that is giving them bad luck or how do you change this number three in a case like that? And how do you trust life again?
1: That's a very, very good question. Um, Obviously, my gym example was a facetious one. It was just an easy one just to illustrate the point. But what you're saying is uh, a very, it's very important because we need to know how to apply these things to life out there. Now, the first point I want to make before I actually answer your question is if a client came to me with the problems that you described, I wouldn't immediately dive into, but this is a good thing for you.
0: Of course, I, I, I know that because I've been there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm very mindful that this is going to be heard by lots of people, some of whom are probably in pain. And I don't want to come across as glib and as sort of complacent saying, yes, 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 you know, you're in a lot of pain, but don't worry, it's all good for you. It's very irritating to actually hear that, you know, I'm in pain and you're telling me it's good for me, really? Um, so I would take it in stages. There are stages in a process of grieving when people die and so on, when in the beginning you just want someone to hold you, you just want someone to hug you, you just want someone to put their arms around you and and, and just hold you without even saying anything um, so that you You stabilize, you feel good, you feel that there's someone there for me and so on. So the time for the kind of explanation I'm going to give you Mm -hmm. is much later, right? You never throw this at someone in the middle of their pain because it's just not appropriate. Um, And there's a little principle there, which is an obvious one, which is no matter how wise a particular position is, Mm -hmm. there's a time and a place to deploy that wisdom. You know, you don't just go in bull in the China shop with my wisdom. Yes, here you are. You know, uh, five omnipresent mental yeah. factors. What? Yeah. My father just died? What is this mental, mental factors? What are you yeah. even talking about? So with that qualification in place, let me answer your question. There are two aspects in what you, in your little narrative there. Uh-huh. One is the relentlessness of it. You know, the father dies, the mother falls down, whatever it is. There's a number yeah. of things happen, right? And I will put it to you, and this is a very um, uh, seemingly uncritical thing to say, but it comes out of my many years of experience and it comes out of my observations of life and so on, that when you're in the middle of a storm and the storm has gone on for a while, it can feel as if the sun will never come out. But the fact is that when you take a macro view of people's life, lives, the arcs of their lives, the arcs and time that their lives describe, there is always a sine wave. A sine wave is one that goes up and down and up and down and up and down Mm -hmm. like a sound wave, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you may say, where's the scientific evidence for this? We don't need scientific evidence. We just need to look around the lives of people we've known for a long time, and we need to read biographies or whatever it is. And I have long been a student of life generally, not just specific ailments. And this sine wave is very much a thing that that operates. In all my years of doing this kind of work, and I've seen people in terrible situations, It's not as if the wind never changes. It's not as if the clouds never go away. It's not as if the sun ever comes out. That's one aspect of the mindset that you can apply, which is I'm in a bad place now, but I won't always be in this bad Mm. place. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of it. It all seems very bleak, but I can hold on to that notion that no matter how little I can believe it now, life is such that the sun does come out. I just don't know how at the moment, but that's my ignorance. I know, however, that the sun does come out. And if I just hunker down and wait, I will get there. So that's one principle. And it's an important principle. It's the one principle that does get eclipsed when you're in pain, because when you're in pain, all you want is for the pain to go away now, and pain doesn't go away now. And if there's repeated tragedies, then you can well believe this will never go away. Mm. But it does. It just does. And it does the way the weather changes. Now, there are reasons for the weather to change because the low pressure moves away or the wind direction changes. But as a person who knows nothing about weather systems, I may not know what causes the weather to change. I don't have any understanding of geography. But I do know that even though I don't know the causes, the weather will change. Similarly in life. I don't know the causes. I don't know how it'll come about, but the weather will change. And it's very important to hold on to. So that's the first principle. Mm -hmm. The second, and that that, when you apply it to my third step in my Mm -hmm. five factors, so this tragedy is now not a good thing. I'll take that step next. But at least I know that the tragedy is not as bad and not as relentless and not as perpetual as I thought it was. So I've ameliorated the, the pain a little bit. But now, the second step to go back to your original question Mm -hmm. how can bad things happen for me? Now, by and large, and again, I'm going to repeat my qualification. It sounds so glib when you're in pain, it's irritating to hear this. But when you're not in pain, and it equips you to deal with pain if you should ever suffer that, which is pain, places of pain, potentially have one big advantage, which is that they come with an opportunity to learn things that you may never have had reason to explore had you never been in pain. So many clients of mine who've come and asked me profound questions about life and about death and about, you know, the meaning of life and so on, were prompted to do so because they suffered some pain that woke them up. And Had it not been for that pain, they would have continued to live lives that were relatively, in their own judgment, not mine, relatively superficial. They would have carried on living their life and have never had reason to explore more deeply because life was sweet. It was fine. Who looks deeply when life is sweet? Some people who do. (laughs) Some people are explorers. But many are led to explore more deeply. And there's often a learning Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, we ask questions, you know, what is life? What is it all about? When suddenly there's a death on the horizon, and you suddenly think, oh, my God, it changes our perception. So that's one reason, again, a general reason why bad things can actually be good, because they lead us to explore more deeply. Mm-hmm. Another reason why bad things are sometimes good is they strengthen us. Again, potentially, you've got to grab that potential doesn't always strengthen us because we can choose to buckle under the weight of the bad thing. But if we treat it like my gym example, the bad thing, the gym is, um, you know, the machine is bad. It causes me pain. But if I embrace it and I run with it, it strengthens me. And so also intellectual things. You ask a child whether an exam, a maths exam is a good thing, and they'll probably say, no, it's not a good thing. But they do it, and we all pay the school fees. Why? because we acknowledge that that pain is good for the child, Mm -hmm. wrestling with that maths. Similarly, in the emotional world, but we don't accept it. We accept it in the world of the physical, the gym. We accept it in the world of the intellectual, school, but we don't accept it in the world of the emotions where difficulty has the same potential for strength as intellectual and physical, and we can gain. And the secret, of course, is to embrace it. So see see the difference between the person who goes to the gym reluctantly and does the same exercise and suffers or goes willingly and embraces it and does the same exercise and benefits and doesn't suffer. People actually look forward to the gym. Similarly, school, see the difference between a child who goes reluctantly and does the exercise, you know, the maths exercise reluctantly, they suffer, And a child who says, bring on the maths problem. Remember, maths problems, right? We call them problems. Bring it on. And they enjoy it. And they have a head for puzzles. And they love it. They do the same thing, but they are, they benefit. If you have the same attitude in emotional problems, the same benefit comes. When I embrace it, when I go for it, and I just say, you know what? The world is not happening to me. I can change what is happening to me into something for myself. I will learn from this and I will embrace the learning. That is the magic. that transforms the potential tragedy into an opportunity for growth and strength.
0: Shamit, every time I have this peaceful moment where I think I understood something, like this example, you know, for example, that you're talking about today, There is always this awareness, like without this awareness or being in tune with what you're feeling, being the observer a little bit of what's going on. It seems quite impossible to reach the same outcome, you know, of, of a good feeling or coming to a point where you understand things are happening for you, not to you, because years ago i it felt different to me i was like living not realizing what was going on it was like one event after the other one event after the other since i learned with you know over, over the years with my conversations with you to just elevate a little bit from what's going on and become a little bit the observer of my life and the events happening it has been easier to apply these advice that that you give and and this one being one of them, one very important one. How do you get to that level of awareness for for people for example, that are not lucky enough to be able to have a conversation with you weekly or how do you get to that awareness? Is meditation one of the tools or just being told? that you have to be aware f- for you to live a more a peaceful life, a, a wiser life. What else can we use to, to be the
1: observer of our life? That's again a very, very good question. The key is to understand that what we're trying to do here is change the way we view things. And that change is going to have to occur in our brains so we're going to have to build synaptic connections around capabilities that give us to use the word you just used the elevation mm. when you talk of elevation you're talking about in buddhist terms again uh, right detachment a certain amount of perspective so yes. it's almost as if you really are elevated you go to a great height yeah. and you look down on the experience and then the experience doesn't seem so bad it, uh, anymore but that is the product of a training. And I use the word training because it's a bit like saying, you know, it's uh, we have to run this half marathon. And it's so difficult. And I used to go and enter these half marathons and I could never finish and I used to get so tired. How would you advise people to change this? Do they meditate? What do they do? And I would say you get on a treadmill, <laughs> you exercise and build the capacity. Yeah. So in that, there are four stages, and these are the four stages I use with all the work that I do with my clients. The first stage is you do need someone to teach you. You can't just do it yourself. You do need someone with whom to have the conversation so that they can see the situation you're in and advise you. So that's the first stage. It's conceptual. Yeah. The second stage is they then give you an exercise. And I call it an exercise. You use the word meditation. I stay well away from words like meditation because different people have different conceptions of what is meditation. And many of them are misguided, I'm afraid. So I I just don't use that word. I just use the word exercises Mm -hmm. because they train a capacity, just like the treadmill. The third stage is to apply to life the thing that you decided in the conceptual first stage that you trained to do in the exercise second stage And in the third stage, you apply that to life. How well am I doing? Now that I'm doing that exercise, how well am I doing? And the fourth stage is to debrief, is to look back on that performance in life out there and say, okay, this and this were good. This was not so good. And that brings us back to stage one, which is the client will normally come back to me and say, all right, this worked well, but that doesn't work well. And then I would then give them a second exercise. They would then apply that to life. And then we would debrief again and so Mm -hmm. on. So when you are saying, how do we benefit someone who doesn't have exercise, doesn't have someone like myself to, to speak to every week, you don't need someone like myself every week. It's obviously a great advantage to have that. But you can apply and you can train around those principles. And I think the great benefit of these podcasts that Mm -hmm. you're doing would be to at least equip people with the principles because principles run deeper than the specifics of people's lives. So in a one-to-one session, I can deal with the specifics of someone's problem. But here, obviously, we can't do that, but we can give them a principle. And the principle that you've alluded to is very, very good. Mm -hmm. It's elevation. So I'll give a little example of that. Uh, What if a little child comes to mummy in the playground and says, mummy, mummy, my ice cream fell down and I'm really, really sad. Mummy has what, again, the Buddhists would call right detachment. For the child, it's the end of the world that the ice cream has fallen for mummy. It's not such a big deal. Now, this is not a function of the fact that the ice cream is only a little thing. I'm not trivializing mm-hmm. people's pain. A military commander has this on the battlefield where people are dying. Yeah. But they are very calm, they're very strategic, they're very analytical, they can see where the danger is, and so on. So they're in their analytical brain as opposed to in their emotional brain. Mm-hmm. So the training that you seek here is to be in your analytical brain and not in your emotional brain. And The first step to that is to recognize that we do have these two brains, these two brain capacities, and to recognize that they can't exist simultaneously side by side. So the more you're in your emotional brain and you're all frazzled, the less you're in your analytical brain. And the more you're in your analytical brain and thinking clearly, the less you are in your emotional brain. So as we do exercises to develop that capacity to bolster the analytical brain, so the emotional brain loses its hold on us. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? Analysis is always a function of having cool overview of the problem rather than emotional Mm -hmm. immersion in the problem, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if... You're on the battlefield, you're not saying, oh my God, all the soldiers are dying. You're saying, "Uh uh-uh, we're coming under attack from the West, this is what I need to do, et cetera, et cetera. So we train through exercises, the capacity that people have to treat the problem as a practical problem that demands a pragmatic solution, as opposed to an emotional tragedy that you can only react to with tears and grief. Now, how you do that specifically, will depend on the specific problem that you have. But at least that general principle is elevation. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that you can have. So mom is not just taller than the little child, but is viewing the little child's problem from a great height. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the training here in its most general aspect is, and I'll give you a quick exercise to do this, is to breathe. You always breathe because breathing calms you. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. Whenever we are relieved, we sigh with relief. Worried about something, you hear the news. It's good news. You say,
0: oh, thank God.
1: You sigh. So when we sigh with relief, we are relieved. The two go together, right? When I'm relieved, I sigh. When I sigh, I'm relieved. So the first point is always to breathe. And when you're stressed, often we forget to breathe. So that's the first step, always. And the second is to float. To float up, allow your consciousness to float up as though you're looking down at yourself with a bird's eye view. And when you have a bird's eye view of your problem, believe me, that problem will not seem so great. Mm -hmm. It's only when we're down at ground level, grappling with it, being affected by it, that's when it seems so serious. But when we can rise up and look down, then it's not so serious. We have mums. Point of view rather than Charles. Yeah. Point of view, all right. So that's the second. And the third, and I'm very wary of saying this, but I'll say it because it completes the exercise. Mm-hmm. But I'm wary of saying it because I would hate for someone in pain to be hearing this and say, Oh, how could he even say this? It's because they're in that place. But believe me, when you float up, you will be able to do the third step, yeah. which is. And I'm saying it with all those qualifications, which is to smile. Why do you smile? Because you can now see that I'm not in the grip of that thing anymore. (gasps) I am relieved from it, the power of that thing. I can see it with perspective. And there's relief in that. And you can smile because there's relief. And then when you see it with perspective, you can see solutions that you didn't see before. It's rather like if I'm lost in the jungle, I don't know where I am, but if I could somehow float up, if I could climb a tall tree and look down, "Ah," now I'm relieved because I can see where the paths are that lead out of the jungle, that's the way out. So I can also smile because I can see solutions that I couldn't see at ground level, right? And to go back to your original question, I can harness the energy of the situation for me as opposed to seeing myself as the victim of that situation. At ground level, it's all happening to me. But up there, I can see how I can harness this to my advantage. It is for me.
0: Incredible. And to come back to the example you gave, I just love this example so much about the sun coming out every day, whether we want it or not, whether we agree with this or not, whether we understand why or not, it's coming out every morning anyway. And you can only remember that when you're from your analytical way. You can't remember that when you're trapped in the emotion and the child looking at the ice cream on the floor and forgetting that there is anything else happening beside the ice cream being gone. So Um, that's something that I noticed myself that comes more and more Exactly, as you just said, by practicing. Because by practicing constantly, when you are in this emotional trapped place, you get in touch. I think, I, I, I got it from you, is that this part of you that you get in touch with, then it doesn't leave you anymore. You tend to forget it from time to time, but it's there. And it becomes intuitively like it's it's automatic. It you you know you're gonna be okay no matter what, even in the strongest of pain. The the other thing that comes to me just now after you explained that so beautifully, because I know it's going to help people, there is also a decision you wanna take because I've noticed that I spent a a period of my life where I was stuck in being comfortable and just not wanting things to get better. I was comfortable in being a victim and not wanting to do the exercise. Just as a conclusion, do you have any advice for those or do you believe that when you don't make the decision to get out of that place, then there is nothing other people can do.
1: You've made two points there, and I'd I'd like to address them both. So the second point first, there are degrees and degrees of resistance to change. And the reason for that is, number one, we all to some degree fear change. Even if the place we're in is, is bad, at least it has the advantage of being familiar. Mm -hmm. whereas change is like, oh my God, I don't know what will come, right? So people are resistant. But ironically and sadly, one of the things that pain does and one of the things that makes pain a good thing potentially is that it almost compels you to let go of that place. So this is a paradox. Mm -hmm. When the pain gets sufficiently bad, you will not be able to deal with it, and then you will embrace change. Yeah. But sometimes it takes a great deal of pain in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. The second point is, I want to go back to that word that you used a little while before just now, yeah. which is practice. Yes. And that is so, so important because what I'm saying about this elevation, to use your word again, yeah. perspective, does not just happen on the day. When you're in a problem, you will forget.
0: Mm, that's a very, very good
1: point. So you've got to practice that detachment. Yeah. And how do you practice? And I would ask your listeners to invest one whole minute a day. A profound investment of one whole minute a day. And if you can't invest one whole minute a day, then what change yes. do you expect to see in your life? Exactly. And in that one minute a day, what I would expect you to do, I'd hope you would do, is go back over one situation from earlier in the day, or the previous day, or the previous week, or the previous month, or the previous year. Just pick one incident when you were so immersed in the drama of a situation that you felt pain and practice going, floating up and looking down on that thing. And then what you'll do, if you keep doing this just one minute a day, ah, yesterday I got so upset, I shouted at my son or whatever it is. No, what if I had just breathed? What if I just floated up? And that problem wouldn't have seemed so serious. Mm-hmm. After all, what did he do? He just spilled some food on the carpet. It wasn't such a big deal. Now, you can practice that smile saying, ah, now I see it in a different way.
0: Yeah.
1: When you build up a library of these, Reconditionings in your mind, you are actually reformatting your brain to treat the serious thing in the future as an opportunity to actually practice detachment yeah. and convert it from a bad thing into a good thing, or at least an opportunity leading to a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you've got to practice. Yeah. The more you reformat the past as examples of opportunities, the more they will seem like opportunities to you at the time when they occur in the future. But if you don't practice, you will go knee jerk into the old way of reacting. Oh my God, this is a drama and it's also terrible.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. It's just so when you are in that moment, it's like you made a discovery that is going to accompany you all your life and just be there to help you go through any kind of experience that comes into your life. And yet, when you forget about it, we have these brief moments where, uh, whether it's from lack of practice or from being too overwhelmed and just you know, having forgotten or becoming, you have a beautiful example that you gave me over the years. It's like this blindfold game. When you really believe that you are blind for a second, you you forget that it's a game. And we may be in a different session. We can talk about this example and you can talk more about it because I find it very useful and beautiful. But when we forget, it becomes very difficult. And I'm hoping that with this podcast and so many more, we can at least help people just keep remembering. And by remembering these very, very important, I want to call them truth. It's giving hope. The hope that, you know, we can live actually a really agreeable life despite all the problems that can just happen, um, obstacles. I was looking for that word because, for example, these examples I gave earlier, they're very painful obstacles and that we tend to think that we're going to be always in them. But actually, it passes just exactly like uh, the sun will come back tomorrow and we are bigger, we grew more, and. We learn from them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On that note, Shome, thank you so much for uh, being with me and agreeing to record these podcasts because it is uh, something I really value and I really want to do more and more. And I really enjoy them. That's the most important. I enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much, and uh, hopefully, see you next week or very soon, anyway.
1: Sure. Thank you, Lara. Thank Thank you. You You talk about you enjoying them. I enjoy them enormously. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're doing is marvelous. I think if we record a series of these these things that work with general principles that have wide, broad spectrum application, and I suggest some general tools that people can use for the rest of their lives, these are useful tools to use anywhere. then we are probably helping a lot of people, even though they don't have access to us directly. So I think well done. I think that's very, very good. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Thank you, Shomet. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed my conversation with Shomet and you think it could help people you know or people you heard are going through this kind of struggle, please, please do share this podcast. It could be very useful to them. And as it did to me and you, if this conversation helped you, it could do the same for so many others. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to having you on next time. I will try to post uh, on my website who I am having next and which subject we will be having conversation about.